You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Hitachi Rail. Society is changing, and so is the way we think about mobility. Cities across America have become epicenters for change and transformation, leveraging new technologies and big ideas to adapt to a surge of population growth, demographic shifts, and economic pressures. On July 10th, the Washington Post brought together top innovators, key government officials, cutting-edge urban planners, and business leaders to discuss advancements that are poised to have a profound effect on urban areas and the people who live in them. The power and promise of 5G is creating game-changing new opportunities for American cities. In this segment, leaders in government and private business discuss how the next generation of mobile internet connectivity will reshape how cities are run and what regulatory issues need to be addressed before mass deployment. Let's listen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for coming. I'm Tony Rahm, the senior tech policy reporter here at The Post, uh, with a wonderful lineup as we're going to talk about 5G uh, and the future of cities here. Uh, before I get going, just want to remind everybody that if you have questions for us, uh, just tweet us at hashtag postlive, and I'll get them on this wonderful little iPad up here. Uh, immediately to my left uh, is Democratic FCC Commissioner Jeffrey Starks. Commissioner, thanks so much for being here. And John Godfrey, uh, who's the senior vice president for public policy at Samsung. Thank you for being here, too. Uh, so let's just jump right in, it, uh, Commissioner. Like, 5G is one of those things where I feel like I see it on these ads and, you know, a lot of consumers maybe don't exactly know what it is. They have these visions of self-driving cars and ultra-fast broadband that might make movies download faster than not or faster than they currently do. Is this actually a thing that consumers can take advantage of, or is this just a lot of good advertising? Well, it's a great question uh, and certainly a great place to start. I think it is an exciting time. Um, I think 5G is going to change the way... Uh, our world moves and, and, and acts. There are about 200,000 large macro cell towers that we all know about. Um, 5G is going to have, again, we're still trying to exactly see how it's going to play itself out, but anywhere from kind of 10x to 100x uh, of that. And so we're not talking about 200 foot high towers anymore. We're talking about the micro cells that we're talking about that are going to bring the edge of the network further and further and closer and closer. Uh, to each of you in your homes. And so that's where we start to talk about um, uh, self-driving cars and aug augmented reality, virtual reality. Um, but then some of the other things that are also going to impact our world in, in more real ways, smart cities, smart living, smart homes, um, smart manufacturing, and, and some of right. those things as well. I mean, just in the clip that we heard on the walk up to the stage, President Trump was talking about the race to 5G mm -hmm. and his concern, are we winning or losing the race to 5G? Mm -hmm. Um, before we even get into whether we're winning or losing, why does that even matter? Yeah, I think it matters because the standards are set frequently by who wins that race. I think uh, an important part that the president uh, has been on that I'm also focused on is the national security aspect of it. Uh, there is uh, the executive order that the president issued in May that basically says that um, uh, Chinese uh, uh, telecom equipment should not be allowed in going forward into our network. Uh, the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, also focuses on the supply chain aspect of our telecom network. Something that I've focused on at the FCC uh, is making sure that we're not only thinking about uh, Chinese telecom and Huawei and ZTE and some of those that we have national security issues with going forward prospectively, but making sure that we think about how we deal with Huawei that's already in our 
network right now. Sure, John, I want to bring you in a second, but you know, the FCC had an open meeting today. Mm -hmm. There was a, um, an item on the docket that uh, essentially involved putting more spectrum out there for 5G. Talk a little bit about that, Commissioner, and sort of what track you think we're on. Like five years from now, if we're sitting here talking about 5G, where do you think we'll be, all things considered, with the work you're all doing? All things considered, uh, you know, I think there are folks that are starting to roll out 5G now. I think we certainly are auctioning more and more spectrum. I think it's going to be important from a policy perspective that we have low band, mid band, and high band spectrum. You know, the high band spectrum is what can carry great amount of capacity and data, but you need to have a lot more of these micro cells that are gonna be closer to the edge of the network. Whereas the, you know, when you talk about the propagation of, of uh, you know, low band, that can travel much further, but, and it can get through some of the trees and walls and all that kind of stuff. And so it's gonna take a good mix of all three types of, of spectrum from us to, for us to get the 5G that folks are really expecting. to. But get like out. five years from now, walking down the street in Washington, D.C., is my phone going to be like 10 times better than it is right now? Or I think in five years, you will, ha you will have a much different experience with your phone. John, let me bring you into the conversation. Um, you guys have a vision for 5G as well, because you make all the stuff that works for 5G. So talk a little bit about what you want to see in five years. That's right. Well, definitely in five years, people will have 5G in their phones, uh, and it will transform the phone, phone experience. But uh, uh, today, you can buy the Galaxy S10 5G, I've got one in my pocket uh, with all of the, the major U.S. carriers. And they are starting to roll out the networks city by city around the country, and so it is faster speeds. But the vision isn't only about smartphones. So 4G put the Internet in everybody's pocket and transformed a lot of things about our lives in doing so. 5G will put the wireless equivalent of fiber speeds into your pocket. But it doesn't stop just with your smartphone. It will be your wearables, your connected car, every traffic light down the street. It will be uh, public safety in public spaces. It'll be every ambulance and hospital room, every seat in a sports stadium, uh, connected agriculture, every cow in a, in a dairy herd, you know? Uh, 5G will enable far more endpoints in a, in a square mile uh, for the network to manage. That means far more sensors everywhere, much higher data rates, including video in both directions for immersive reality type experiences. And it'll mean uh, lower latency so that the network operates faster in real time even to the point of, you know, preventing a traffic accident. Right, so these are all great things that 5G could unleash, right? Yeah. But we know it's not always as simple as that. Um, and I want to read something you said, Commissioner, uh, not too long ago. You said, quote, I am worried about a world where those uh, with much will get even more and everyone else gets left behind. Uh, what did you mean by that in the context of 5G? Yeah, in the context of 5G, I'd say there are a couple things. Uh, the first is um, we are talking about uh, you know, the next generation of wireless connectivity from 4G to 5G uh, and all the benefits that that's going to bring. But there are a lot of communities that still have no Gs. Uh, there, here at the FCC, uh, we talk about <coughs> the 24 million, depends on how you're counting, some people count higher, uh, million Americans who are still without broadband. Uh, and so I do have concerns and worry about a world where um, those with much are getting even more and then other folks get left behind. This has, um, it reverberates through 
um, uh, healthcare, through jobs, through education. Uh, and, and it cannot be understated that we need to make sure that folks are brought forward. With regard to 5G as well, um, it, it is clear that in some of our urban centers even, uh, I'm not even talking about just rural folks who don't have broadband, and even in our urban centers, there are folks who do not have, the business case has not uh, been fulfilled there, and so we have urban core folks who also don't have the internet that they need, and right. some folks call it digital redlining. Um, and so even there, I think with 5G, we need to be intentional uh, that even in our urban cores, we're not making sure that folks are left behind. There is an internet inequality that is coming about, and we need to make sure that all communities have what they need to um, uh, be served. Right, John, I'm just given the fact that you guys can see some of this because you have the devices that operate on the network, for instance, is the build out, is the deployment of 5G happening in a way that suggests to you that we could be exacerbating the existing digital divide or closing the digital divide? No, I think, uh, I think the, the work the commission is doing is, is extremely important to try and uh, support widespread access to broadband, including wireless. And so, you know, the Connect America funds, uh, other initiatives the commission has to make sure that high cost areas like rural areas get access to broadband. Uh, but 5G is going to be deployed extremely widely by carriers. And one thing that's important to remember uh, is, as the commissioner said, it, it's low, medium, and high spectrum. The low, the low band spectrum propagates the farthest. So uh, I think some of the carriers have plans to very widely deploy 5G in that low band spectrum. It may not have quite the high data rate capability because it's the low band spectrum but it, it will have the other benefits I talked about, device density and low latency. Uh, so a lot of the same services will work, you know, even in that, that wide area propagation. Uh, Samsung is a supplier of the, the base stations as well, not just the handsets, but with, uh, uh, you know, with most of the U.S. carriers, we're deploying those small cells. And uh, as Commissioner Stark said, they're, they're much smaller than the cell towers that have been deployed in the past go on a light pole, go on the corner of a building. So that helps to some, uh, to some extent. Maybe they don't you know, cover as large an area, but they're not as expensive to install right. either, and they don't take up as much space. Right, it, it, it's one thing to talk about the digital divide with respect to build out cost is the other element here. And I can't help but think that there have been a couple instances, I think Verizon is one of them, where in announcing some of their early 5G offerings, they're saying there's going to be an added cost put there. I think Verizon, it might be $10. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong here. Is this a concern of yours that we could end up with this with, with an even more stratified system with respect to you know who has and who hasn't with wireless service? So it is a very real concern, uh, and affordability is something that is something that I have been focused on. It it, it rolls into there is there are obviously some communities where access uh, to high speed. Um, uh, internet is just not available. Where access, you know, mo Mobility Fund 2 is something where we're trying to get more 4G everywhere, something at the FCC. We have a $4.5 billion program um, that is going to ultimately uh, be rolled out to pay for 4G to be brought to a lot of rural areas. But the affordability is something that I think cannot also be understated. It's about $2,700. Uh, we have found that the average American family spends on uh, their cable, on their cell phones, on their internet, and for a lot of a lot of um, families, 
um, those are precious dollars, and adding more charges uh, is something that uh, does give me some concern. Do you think that'll cause. Do you think that'll go up in a five G world? Uh, I mean, some folks have already said that they're going to tack on additional charges to, in a five G world, and so that's something that we're going to have to think through. Um, you know, obviously the business case has to be there for five G. Um, Folks are spending significant amount of money to make sure that they roll this program out. They're trying to recover some of those costs, but it does give me pause that you have communities that are going to be left out on this uh, affordability issue. Sure. Uh, just sort of turning attention slightly just because it relates to 5G and to the affordability question, the big case that Sprint and T-Mobile have made uh, as they've made the argument for this merger has been that they can boost 5G availability and that they can do so in a way that would undercut their competitors with respect to price. So all that aside, like being said, Commissioner, what are your thoughts on that merger and the promises that they've made on 5G? Yes, and so um, for folks um, uh, that are clued in on this, there's a $29 billion merger proposed between Sprint and T-Mobile that is pending before the Department of Justice and it's depend, uh, um, uh, before us uh, here at the FCC. I, I, I'm not um, uh, able to comment. Uh, I had to on, try. On, you had to try. <laughs> and I understand. It is a valiant effort, Tony. Um, you know, as, a, as a, a former Department of Justice official, now an FCC commissioner, I just don't think it's prudent um, to talk about mergers. There are a lot of different issues there. First of all, the merger, um, a lot of people may have the misconception that the merger has already been approved by the FCC, and, and part of that has been that um, some of my colleagues, uh, the Republicans in particular, have already indicated some of their approval uh, for the deal that is pending before us. There is no recommendation actually to the FCC commissioners. There's no paperwork, there's no economic studies, there's no engineering analysis. Uh, and so the merger also, uh, as folks that, are, uh, that follow this sector, um, I'm sure are, are aware of, the Department of Justice is still allegedly in their negotiations on how they're going to fall out uh, or how they're going to um, end up on, on the Sprint TMO tra transaction. So there are a lot of moving pieces, um, and it's nothing that I can comment on, but I do, I do believe significantly in a, a muscular um, uh, merger standard under our authority, Section 310D, uh, and, and I plan to hold um, um, the parties to that. Yeah, maybe without talking about that merger specifically, I guess the bigger, higher level question here is, do you trust in the ability of the FCC to keep watch over the commitments that those two companies or other companies make with 5G? Because they could easily just not you know, fulfill the build-out requirements. We've heard allegations of this in past mergers. Do you have thoughts that, on that? Yes, this is take two here, Tony. <laughs> uh, and that's exactly right. Uh, the enforcement of merger conditions uh, is something that a lot of folks have had deep problems with at the FCC. Uh, and there are 30 pages of commitments um, that uh, uh, the merger parties have put before us here. Uh, and so it's something that I'm going to look through and study very carefully and, and see what, um, um, what is best for our public interest standard there. John, does the consolidation within this industry have an effect on the deployment of 5G from your perspective? Uh, one, you know, one thing that's really interesting about 5G actually is its potential to compete with wireline broadband. Uh, and the way it rolled out in the United States initially, even before as a mobile service, was last fall when Verizon launched, launched their 5G home service, right. which is a fixed residential, really, replacement for wired broadband. So in that respect, at least 5G can offer 
uh, increased and new competition. But the key is going to be spectrum availability in the United States, maybe even some new entrants moving in uh, and offering uh, 5G service in a competitive basis. Right. Commissioner, um, are you concerned with the work that the FCC has done in this space, broadly speaking? I know that there's been efforts uh, by your peers of the agency uh, to make it easier for companies to situate their uh, small cells, the small boxes that transmit those signals. Uh, they've done so in a way that's perhaps made it easier to clear environmental review or to deal with historical sites. Do you think that the FCC has you know, kind of grown 5G at the expense, perhaps, of some of these cities? Yeah, there are a couple. That is one of the real concerns that I have had with the way 5G has rolled out, um, is the way that some of the localities um, that are the folks that are really going to have to um, um, see how it impacts their communities, how the FCC, through the preemption, uh, really kind of steamrolled some of those localities in that. That is pending before the Ninth Circuit right now, whether our uh, preemption uh, is going to hold up. The other couple concerns that I'll share really quickly um, is as we're talking about a world with 5G and more devices coming on further and further online, um, I think you know I would be remiss not to raise privacy concerns. Um, we are talking about an explosion of devices that is going to come on to the Internet of Things. Uh, and it is a piece that the FCC has a bit of a lane of. Uh, other folks, the FTC obviously has a lane, and I think Congress is starting to think through um, the broader lanes that have to play out here. But uh, the amount of data that is going to be um, coursing through all of these devices is something that we're going to need to be very intentional uh, about how data is handled, how it's managed, how it's secured. And then, of course, as we see a lot of places, including the Washington Post um, reporting on this, we need to figure out how a lot of this is being monetized uh, and making sure that we are being thoughtful about that. Really, what would, you, what would you propose there, by the way? Not to interrupt you, but what would you propose the government do in response to those privacy concerns you just illustrated? Yeah, uh, I, I think... Um, I personally think that when you go, I think about this from the telecom perspective. Uh, when you go and get your, uh, when you go to your, whoever your mobile provider is, I think all of us expect when you sign up to get your phone that you are going to get a phone that is going to, in some senses, um, you may not think about it this way, but it is a tracking device, right? Uh, the phone is expected to ping the cell networks every five seconds so that a call gets to you, so that text messages get to you. Uh, and so, you know, God forbid uh, you ended up where you needed to call 911, you're going to be able to make a call that is going to get to you. Um, but what we have seen is that a lot of folks have otherwise taken, in particular, geolocation data that is on your phone, and they are tracking that data, collecting that data, mining that data, mm -hmm. uh, and cutting it up and monetizing that data. Uh, and so I think it, it does, there is a mismatch between what people think they're signing up for and what ultimately is otherwise getting delivered back to some of those companies. And I think we need to be a little bit more thoughtful on how we think about that. Sure, we only have a few minutes left. Um, I wanna ask you guys about um, something I had been reading recently, which is uh, the Sidewalk Labs project in Toronto. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a place where they've sort of tried to transform this vision for the future of a city with, uh, you know, ultra-fast wireless networks with the world of self-driving cars and so forth uh, into, into reality. And there's been a bit of blowback there. People who are worried about privacy, people mm -hmm. who are worried about trusting all of these things to automation, to next generation networks and so forth. 
Do you guys hear some of that? Do you hear concerns from other Americans who think, you know, hold up, like this vision sounds great, but we're kind of worried, we're fearful, maybe we shouldn't be moving so fast to the next generation of a city? Neither of you. Yeah, uh, so I, I do hear that concern um, in a lot of different vectors. Um, folks that are just concerned in that way. Uh, but I think it also plays out in a couple other different ways. Uh, automation, I think folks realize is something that is coming, that is a part of 5G smart manufacturing, I think is gonna really play into that. Um, how I have started to think about that, and, and you know, the other way is we're talking about a world with driverless cars, right. driver, driverless trucks. Um, that just alone worries a lot of people. But the way I also think about it as a regulator and as a policymaker is, um, a lot of folks drive cars for a living. A lot of folks drive trucks for a living. Right. Uh, and if we're going to, a lot of folks are gonna have jobs that are otherwise automated. And how are we gonna make sure that they are otherwise um, um, continuing to participate in our modern world, our modern economy? I think it's gonna be important um, that we retrain and reskill and, and otherwise um, make sure that some of these folks get value their experiences and get their skills to put them in jobs that otherwise are gonna be able to support themselves and their families. Right, John, you get the last word. Well, great, uh, maybe a more optimistic last word. <laughs> I agree with all of your concerns, Commissioner, but uh, the when 4G came along, people didn't know what it was gonna be used for. They, they thought you would open your email faster and look at websites mm -hmm. faster. And people didn't anticipate mm -hmm. the app, the smartphone revolution, mm -hmm. ride sharing, social media, I actually don't think social networking would be a thing if you had to be sitting at your desk to do it. Mm -hmm. It's because it's with you all day that social media has really taken off. And you know, people make fun of, of social media, but it has brought communities together, friends, families together. It's allowed people to organize socially. And no one knew that was gonna happen with 4G. I think the most important thing about 5G is that when the United States deploys 5G widely and it's widely available, innovators in the United States are going to invent ways to use the platform that will bring economic value and social value in America that we can't even anticipate today. But we'll find out what it is once we have the platform. Got it. Well, I want to thank you both for being here. We're unfortunately out of time. Commissioner Starks, John Gottfried from Samsung, thank you so much. And thanks to everybody here uh, for, for coming to join us. Just a reminder for those who are watching uh, back at home, uh, you can tune back into this at WashingtonPostLive.com. Uh, I'm Tony Rahm, the tech policy reporter here at The Post, and thanks again. Have a good night. Thanks. thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.